Grow CFO is where finance leaders grow together. Join thousands of like-minded professionals using Grow CFO to access the combined knowledge and experience of the finance leader community. You can join us today at growcfo.net. Hello and welcome to the Grow CFO Show. I'm your host, Kevin Appleby, and today I've got Julian O'Neill with me, who's currently the CFO at Ardent. But I've just discovered that 20 years ago, back in uh, Coopers, PwC Consulting, Julian and I worked together. And even for a while, we were on the same big project, both working with the Ministry of Defence. So, Julian, welcome to the show. Small world, I can. It is world. a small world. Yeah. So, Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate having me. Julian, I briefly met you in PwC, but how did you become, first of all, an accountant? And how did you move on from those consulting days to, to become a CFO? Crikey. That's a long, a long and winding story, Kevin. So how did I become an accountant? I, if I reflect on that, you know, when I, was, uh, when I was a teenager, and I've got four teenagers now who are all going, and bizarrely, my eldest teenager, who's my eldest son, has just got a job at PwC in Leeds. So there's sort of some sort of legacy going on there. But There's definitely a legacy going on there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I lived You're in bad. the North East. I spent most of my time working out of London. Technically, my home office was PwC's Leeds office. Oh, there you go. There you go. So you make an with them at some point. Who knows? But I think when I was that age, my theory was if you do something in accountancy or finance, it opens a lot of doors. So my dad was, um, he was a commercial director and then uh, managing director of a private jet business. Really, really successful, really good guy. He had lots of friends who were finance people. And it seemed to be that if you did accountancy or you became an accountant or you started a finance career, it just opened up doors. And if I talk to people now, you know, my own kids or, or you know, work experience people or, or junior members of the team, I still think that's a really important aspect of it. Obviously, other careers can also open doors, but I think you tend to look across companies and, you know, those people who've got finance backgrounds tend to have good opportunities to do other things and sort of progress through either in a linear fashion, you know, people have classically gone all the way through audits or all the way through a commercial finance route or to branch out and do other things because of those sort of inherent financial competencies you've got. So, so way back in the day, I think it was a door opening decision. If I'm honest, going to university and studying accountancy, the going to university bit was great. The studying accountancy bit was I'm not sure it was that exciting, actually, but it was a means to an end. Yeah, it's um, funny. I, I had much the same route of going to thinking, yeah, accountant. Dad was actually an accountant in a, a small firm in, in practice. Okay. And I went off to university and did an economics and accounting degree. And it was only the economics bit that kept it interesting. The accounting was pretty yeah. dull, pretty boring. I became an accountant because, well, I decided during university I didn't want to do this. Applied for a few marketing jobs and found as a turning up at interview. And, uh, oh, no, we decided we'd put you forward for the accountancy graduate recruitment scheme, Kevin. <laughs> so you dodged marketing. Uh, very yeah. good. So, so I think that was my, if I think back, that's probably my, the genesis of all of this. You know, not necessarily I want to become an accountant, but I think it's a really good sort of opening start to a career will give you opportunities, will give you, you know, give you a qualification. Actually, when I talk to you know, friends and colleagues and maybe children of colleagues, and in our business, we've got a whole wide raft of individuals doing things, completely outside the finance team. My suggestion to all of them is 
you need to get some sort of qualification or you need to get some sort of trade because you can go on from there. I think just sort of meandering through life without any sort of background to it is a bit more difficult. You know, something that's really successful. But I think having that qualification is important. And that's why I did it. So where, where did that sort of lead me? And I'll come and I'll sort of answer your question in a in a sort of bit of a wind through a career. So it turned up in uh, in cable and wireless. There was a, a business called Mercury Communications, which was the challenger brand to BT back in God, whenever this was, 1990s. You know, great bunch of people. There was this real buzz about this sort of challenger brand in the market. Um, fairly local to me, interesting job, a sort of an analyst job. Um, sort of got me into that corporate world. And the corporate world was my home for a good 20 years, something like that. A real sort of uh, insight into finance. You know, you're dealing with lots of different people. You're dealing with a business. You're dealing with a team. You're sort of figuring out how all this stuff works. And as we were just talking about earlier before the call, before the podcast, you know, learning things like Excel, you know, the core of what most finance people are, are experts in. I think actually from, from there, generally, most finance people get presented with opportunities. From time to time, many of those opportunities are sort of internal. So you're in job A and someone says, we've done job A for 18 months, have a look at job B. And also external. I think my my career, and I'll sort of wander through it, my view was to take opportunities all the time. You know, if something was presented to you, obviously consider it. I mean, consider the implications or consider the opportunities that may lead from there. But, you know, give it a go. Because what's the worst that can happen? You you take a promotion, or you take a different role, and you struggle a bit. Well, you'll find a way through it, and that's been my sort of philosophy. You know, if something comes at you and it looks interesting, you know, back yourself to do it. So, without going through painstaking detail of all the roles, I did a couple of roles at Cable and Wireless and passed my ACCA exams, which was you know a good sort of watershed moment. After Mercury or Cable and Wireless, there was a, an interesting role popped up at Vauxhall Motors in Luton, so part of the General Motors. That's a really, a really bizarre, unusual recruitment process. So, you know, most traditional recruitment processes, certainly I don't know, 20 odd years ago, you fill in an application form, you go for a first interview with someone and you go for a second interview with someone a couple of weeks later, maybe a third and you get the job or not. And that's not what happens. This was, um, so General Motors at that time were recruiting a new sort of cadre of people to come into the organisation. They'd recruited a load of MBAs and were recruiting now a bunch of people that were in their, I don't know, mid-20s uh, to come in and sort of spice things up a little bit. So the, the, the gig was, um, I turned up on a, whatever day it was, on a Tuesday at 8 o'clock in the morning. I had nine interviews back to back and I got the decision the next day. Wow. It was literally, you know, an hour's interview, a five-minute break for a, for a quick drink, an hour's interview. And by the end, I was knackered. And actually, the very last person was the, um, he was kind of a uh, head of talent, I want to say, probably that's what it'd be called now. And this guy, he was sort of in his know, early 60s, and he said, just relax, you know, day's done, well done, you know, sit back, take off your jacket, take off your tie, just for, and of course, in hindsight, that's probably the key part of the interview, because you're, you're tired, you've answered a lot of questions. But actually, what it did on reflection is, if you think about an interview process, I think when you're a bit younger, the interview process is here is a business talking to Julian and they want to find out if that person is good, bad, indifferent, fit, everything else. Actually, we need 10 interviews or nine interviews back to back. You get it both ways. So if you meet nine people one after the other, you get a sense for the sort of people in the business. 
and it allows you to, you know, that evening or the next day, actually reflect back and think they're all idiots or they're all brilliant or, you know, I like the style or I'm not sure about that. It gives you that real insight. And that was a real learning point for me. It made me think at quite an early age. An interview process is definitely a two-way thing. Mm. It's just a one-way channel where you've got to tick all the boxes. You should find out more. You should find out what's going on. You should find out the culture. So the other slightly odd thing was there wasn't a particular job. There was just some jobs. And that was it. I got the job and um, put into imported vehicle costing and ran a team of people. First time I'd had a team of people working for me. There was a sort of 60-year-old clerk. I'm not being ageist at all, but just to give a perspective. 60-year-old clerk, a sort of late 30s, dyed-in-the-wool finance guy who just wanted to sort of turn the handle, youngest sort of data analyst. And I had to sort of get hold of this team and get going. And, and that probably typifies the give-it-a-go approach. You know, never managed people, never worked in a vehicle manufacturing business, never dealt with perhaps older generation clerks who've been at Vauxhall for 40, 50 years. You know what? It makes you really think and makes you work Yeah, I, I can really sympathise with that. And I, that was similar to me taking a role as business accountant in, in ICI. There I was as a relative youngster, I think, to start off with, I was deputy European business accountant for ICI's plastics business, but the same thing. Team of folk to manage. A lot of them had been dyed in the wall ICI employees on Teesside for years and years and years. And suddenly there's me, young accountant. Oh, how do I manage this 55-year-old that knows yeah. much more about this business than actually I do? It, and it certainly yeah. puts you into a, an interesting position and challenges you. And, uh, and you know what? You make mistakes. I think back to, I was what was I, 20, 25 maybe? I made some howlers of just sort of you know interpersonal, cultural... Because I was, you know, I was 25, I was full of beans. I've just come out of a very young environment in cable and wireless. You know, yeah. come on, this is how we do things. And you've got someone who says, but I just want to turn up at nine o'clock. When the hooter goes at 10.30, I want to stop and get my paper out and read it. And at 10.45, I'll put it away again and I'll carry on. That, that's their world. That's how they live. That is their, their, their environment. And this sort of young whippersnapper who comes in is, is going to be a pain in the arse. So, you know, I made a whole load of mistakes, but that's what it's all about. You learn. Yeah, and I... I think you learn far more out of making the mistakes than you do at sitting in a classroom or taking a course. Yeah. yeah. I think as long as you've got, as long as you've got probably a management environment around you that doesn't look to criticise you for those mistakes, but allows you to go, well, hang on, how do you think that went? Yeah, probably wasn't the right thing to do. What would you do next time? I'd do this. And therefore, how are you going to address the little fracture in the relationship you've caused? Well, I think I'm going to go and do that. As long as you're in that, in that sort of learning culture, which yeah. was, you're okay to make mistakes. And therefore, you should, you should not be worried about making mistakes. You should just crack on and do what you think is the right thing to do, having considered it, but learn. So, so for me, that was, um, that was really interesting. And then I took a different role in the sort of analyst team for a couple of years. Then I moved on. Why did I move on? Because I wanted to do an MBA. So I, I did an MBA at Warwick, which I finished, I don't know, 10, 10 odd years ago passionate about doing one and the only option I had was to go and do it at a local university or a local college and I said look if I'm going to do it I need to go and do something different and it sort of got me got me thinking well where do I go from here one of the factories in Luton was going to close down there was real uncertainty around what was going on so again following that theme I had a couple of you know recruitment consultants I probably wouldn't call them headhunters at that stage saying well there's some really interesting jobs I went to Siemens in Hemel Hempstead it was a network system provider so I bounced from 
Caitlin Wireless to General Motors, now Siemens. And again, the role was quite interesting. It was a commercial manager role. So it was actually slightly outside of finance. It was running a group of people who did all the administration for the network contracts, who did all the renewals, who did the contract negotiation. And it had a team of, I don't know, 10 people, all of whom were, or none of whom were finance people. Again, completely different experience, different environment, different levels of challenge and bits and pieces. But again, you just grow into it and you find the things you can do. You find the things you're good at. You find the things that maybe are a bit of a challenge you need to work on. And you know, a you know, really fantastic experience doing you know, proper customers. The first time I'd actually dealt with a customer because I think many, many there's, a, there's a good proportion of finance people who sit in the back office. They may interact with sales. They may interact with marketing. They may interact with commercial. But not always do they talk to the customer. This yeah. was the first experience I had of, well, Julian, you need to phone Bob at CSFB because the network contract is X, Y, Z. And what, me? Phone a customer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it gets you sort of over that, sort of into the front line, if you, if you see what I mean. So, again, superb experience. Why did I disappear from there? Back to our little intro. So I had a pamphlet land on the doorstep back in the old days. And it said, we're looking for uh, management consultants. And I always wanted to be a management consultant. You know, I'd seen, you know, you have that moniker, don't you? And these people with brains the size of planets going around fixing things and jetting all over the world. And I thought, if, if there's a chance to do it, I'll go and do it. So I had a couple of interviews, PwC, and they said, yeah, you know, you look about right and you come. I did two years. I came as a consultant and then became principal consultant, which I think you were yeah. two. We're in the same, roughly the same location. So we've definitely been in the same bar together at some stage. What did I find? I found it. Interesting to be part of a completely different organisation in terms of your client organisation. This was the MOD. Very intelligent people, all of whom wanted to try and make a difference. You know, good experience, good thought leadership. An interesting way to think about slightly externally looking into a business saying, well, if I think about it dispassionately, I might do these things. If I was ingrained in it, I might not do these things. I did it for two years, a couple of things about moving on. You know, one, my first child was born. It became a bit difficult to live away from home, you know, every night of the week for weeks on end. But also, I, I think I missed, strange enough, I missed the cut and thrust of actually being in the organisation, you know, actually dealing with the, the highs and lows and the people issues and the, you know, the budgets and the forecasts and the new strategies. I felt a bit of an outsider. And, and it, I recognised that point. I don't know, maybe a year in, and I thought it's just I need to be part of a bigger team, like a core part of a team. This is interesting at this point. You know, we've both come up through a very, very similar route. We're in industry. We've been managing teams, and I was I'd moved on to being business accountant for ICI's plastics business, and was, was effectively doing a a divisional CFO role for a three hundred million pound business before I went and joined Coopers. Various reasons in that ICI business had been sold and my job had disappeared off to Germany as a result of the sale. But no, I carried on in consultancy for the next part, for the best part of 20 years. Okay. You stayed for two and moved on. I did my two. Yeah. So what happened next? So I, and I think I, it was interesting. I left and I had a conversation with my, with my uh, PwC partner and my, my wife at the time. Um, so those are two different people, not the same person. And the partner said, look, you know, you've done a really good job, completely understand, you know, kids, kind of how you feel about not being part of a, part of a business. If you ever want to come back, brilliant. So, we, you know, I think it's really important to leave on good times. Every business I've, you know, moved on from, 
always, you know, stay in touch, always have got, you know, a fantastic relationship with the people I've left and always done it in an upfront, honest, straightforward way. And I mean, that's what most people should do. I mean, some people don't, but it's it's never worth being difficult in that position. So, so I decided to move on and then this job came in from Pizza Hut. I thought, crikey, that is, um, I've never been in hospitality. So, so now I've done, what have I done? Telecoms, car manufacturing, network systems, consulting with the MOD on activity-based costing and resource accounting. And now I'm going into hospitality. You know, I'm covering a few bases here. But again, I sort of back myself to, to you know, give it a go. And I think generally, in maybe in your more junior career, you don't necessarily need to have that deep industry knowledge. You need to be able to apply the knowledge you've got and apply the competencies and, uh, and personality you've got to be able to you know, progress on. And I think that's really important. So Pizza Hut was, um, it was called a planning director, number two to the director doing all the budgets, forecasts, analysis. Great people, great buzz around the business, great CEO, great CFO. It was based in Bournemouth. Um, really, really enjoyed it. A real a real buzz about the business, you know, classic kind of hospitality business. So I did that for a couple of years. And this is probably where the first real interesting kind of sideways step comes. And I remember it. I remember it quite clearly. I was in a sort of trading update meeting with a marketing director on a, it was a Monday afternoon or whatever. And there was a knock on the door and it was a CEO. And he, he said, have you got five minutes? God, I'm in trouble here. You know, what have I done? And he said, the, uh, the IT director's moving on. He's moving to Dallas. So, you know, we've got a hole in that uh, position. I want to see if you'd like to step up and become IT director and join the board. I've got no real experience about IT. I've never been an IT director. Okay, I'm fairly savvy at, you know, basic technology, but I'm not an IT guy. He said, I know, but you've got, you know, got half a brain. Um, you've led a team of, you know, a bunch of different people. We had sort of 15 people in the team. Uh, you've got a good name in the business. You know, you've, we think it's worth a go. And I said... Okay. Uh, I said, how long have I got to decide? He said, you've got half hour. So, <laughs> Nothing like out. putting you on the spot. Yeah, he was like that. And I went outside and uh, I called my wife and I said, look, this is, you know, this has come up. So well, why, why, why wouldn't you do it? I said, well, I've not done it before. There's a team of 40 IT people. And I sort of know, you know, some of them, but I've not done it. And she said, but what have you got to lose? You either stay doing what you're doing and, you know, you just move up the career ladder at some point or, You've got an opportunity here at the age of, was I 30? Something like that, to join the board of a, a 500 million pound business. Um, shouldn't you do it? And I said, yeah, you're right. So I went back and I said, right, crack on, I'll do it. I think switching from being a number two to the CFO to an IT director is just quite a tough step, actually. It's, yeah. it's a whole different thing. The, the interesting thing there is that you could be number two to the CFO because you had a finance background. Yeah. Here you're switching into IT, but the IT director, an IT director, an IT professional, could never be number two to the CFO. Oh, exactly. So exactly. there we've got one of those great things we were talking about earlier. Why go for a finance qualification in the first place? Because it opens up a whole load of doors and gives you the ability not just to do finance, but to move elsewhere in the business. It does. I think it is that sort of ticket to play, isn't it? I think it's got to be combined with other stuff. Um, I mean, that's a really sort of generic term, isn't it? But your ability to lead, your ability to coach, your ability to ask questions, your ability to get stuff done, deliver, all of those things that typically leaders do in the business. You could be, you could have the most fantastic finance qualifications and be useless at all of those. And you know what? It won't open any doors. 
you could be, you know, not very good at finance, bring on the other stuff and it might open up some, some other doors. If you're pretty good at finance and you're pretty good at leadership and you're pretty good at management and you're pretty good at coaching and delivery, yeah, I think the opportunity to bring this, I really do. But, How um, important do you think that two or three years as a consultant was in being able to step into an IT role? Interesting question. I want to say not at all, but I think that's a bit binary. A little perhaps, because you know, you do look at things through a different lens. Mm. You do you sort of say again, you take the passion out of it and the people out of it, and you go, Well, you want to get from A to B, let's try and chart a you know a route map of how you get from one to the other. So I'd say I'd say a bit, not as transformational as sort of if I go back to you know, learning how to speak to customers if you're in a commercial team or yes. dealing with your first team, which is a slightly awkward bunch of people that have got, you know, particular cultures ingrained. Or, you know, there's things in that that I think you take you take the failures, you take the successes, you take the learnings and you apply it then to mm. a new so I wouldn't say if I thought about the key components of how I managed to get a relatively successful gig in an IT role, I probably wouldn't put PwC on the list that that high, to be honest. Mm-hmm. So what, what did give you success in that role? By approaching it, by trying to approach it in the right way. So one of the things I think is really important, and maybe there's, a, there's another theme here, one of the challenges, I think, of finance people taking on, and that's a really broad term, of finance leaders taking on another function is to not just stay in that finance world, I mean, that finance paradigm, you know, because other functions don't work. Other functions are interested in finance, but other functions work on the stuff that we want to work on. So when I, I remember the first day, I thought, well, how am I going to how am I going to sort this out? I know some of the senior team. I've sort of passed by some of the IT guys, but they sort of sat in a corner as most IT functions do, unfortunately. How do I how do I engage them? So I spent two days just sitting down with I know, sort of ten people in the more senior team, saying, "What can I do to help? How can I help this function? What's on your mind? What are the challenges? How are you feeling about the business? How are you feeling about the team?" And actually what transpired through that two days is the biggest thing, they felt completely isolated from the rest of the business. They described themselves as a post box where somebody would define a, a project or a task and they'd sort of post it in the top. A week later, they'd wait for the thing to come back out and then go, thanks very much and move on. So where that led me was, you know, I, I couldn't tell what end of a network attached server from a server attached network to a DNS. To, I, I had no idea. But what I had to make sure was, the IT team was plugged into the business. It had the right people on board to deliver the strategy, or at least the projects. And we knew what those projects were and why they're important. What I tried to avoid all the way through was opening up my spreadsheet and analysing how much we're spending on IT kit and what the returns would be, because that's not the job. But I think the finance part allows you, or allows a finance leader to be able to interpret what is coming through another function, in this case IT, and um, portray it or, or illustrate it in partially financial terms to a board who are probably more financially literate. So I think that the really important thing for me is when you step out of the finance world into another world, you've got to let some of that finance stuff go to a certain extent. Because what these guys are expecting, and we spoke you know, a couple of months after, after you know, everyone sort of sussed each other out. They said, we heard that you were going to take on that, that role. We thought you'd be the one to take it on, to be honest. And we were really nervous. You were just going to come in, look at the costs, cut the costs, stop projects and stuff. And they said, you didn't. You just listened. 
and understood and found those things that were getting in the way or found those things that weren't working the right way in that function and we resolved it. And, you know, what I'm proud to say is that I remember turning on the Pizza Hut web ordering platform back in whatever it was, 2003 or something, 2005. And that was, it wasn't my project, but I led that project from start to finish and we turned it on and it worked. And now it's a, God knows, 150 million pound business, if not more, on its own. And those things you think, that's success. That's not success because I had a spreadsheet that told me how much it cost and what the returns would be. That's a success because the team that I worked with were engaged, were clear about what they were doing, um, had the right support, checked into the board when required and delivered it on time. Yeah. And there's a nice feeling when you see something that, that's real as a result of that, that work. And one that I remember similar to that is I spent 12 months working with the team for London 2012, right at the start of the construction for the games. Of course, we made a whole load of promises in the bid to win the games. Then Ken Livingstone, as the Lord Mayor of London, made a whole load more promises on top of that. And all sorts of eyes on the Olympic project. And I came in as a effectively on a secondment from a consultancy I was working for to be head of performance management for 12 months. And every time there was a headline in the, in the London Evening Standard that says, X number of people employed on the local park, on the Olympic Park. All these local jobs in the three boroughs created. I was saying, ah, that's my performance management system that's given them those numbers. Good. <laughs> Very good. I like that. I like that. So, um, yeah, I, exactly. I think it's, um, it is nice when you see something come out of it. But what is, what is really important for me is it's not about what I do because I'm a single individual. I, I do what I can. It's about can I help my team to deliver something? Yeah. That, that's what it's all about. Um, that was, uh, you know, really interesting. Five years at Pizza Hut, so half and half, half in finance and then half in IT. Then I moved on to, I've done some, some funny old things. So then I moved on to Arcadia, Philip Green. That'd be an interesting experience. I won't say it's publicly, but I would say the, the image you get of Philip Green from the media is, is about right. Mm. Interesting business. And that's an hour step from pizzas and IT into uh, ladies' fashion, which I assure you, Kevin, I know nothing about, uh, as my partner would tell me. Again, really interesting job. It was a brand CFO. Um, so I'm now stepping, stepping into a divisional CFO role, which I wanted to do. Yeah. But really you, had, you had an interesting choice there, though. You, you'd gone away from finance into IT. Yeah. You yeah. could just as easily have stayed outside finance at this point. What was it that brought you so, back to finance? I wouldn't want to stay in IT. I'd take my hat off to every IT director. It's a, that's a tough gig. Yeah. yeah. A tough, thankless gig. Massive respect. And, you know, normally most CFOs have the IT function. I do now and have had for a while uh, in many businesses. But um, not my sweet spot, I would say, if I had to choose. Okay. But having done two and a half years leading a 40-strong IT team in a, in a £600 million multi-site business, I kind of know what questions to ask. And I kind of know when someone's trying to pull the IT wall over my eyes. Yeah, you know what? I think I think to do the CFO role properly, even if you've not got IT under your command, you need to know enough about those other parts of the business from experience, so that people aren't pulling the ball over your eyes. And that's that's why I I think it's really important if you're going for that top job, particularly a reasonable size organisation, 
get some experience outside finance. I couldn't agree more, Kevin. Couldn't agree more. So Arcadia was, um, you know, completely different industry, completely different people, very flamboyant, creative bunch, you know, hilarious. Philip Green and his entourage, very interesting. He's an incredible character in many, many ways. Um, and I'll probably leave that, leave that particular conversation there. I did that for about, I don't know, sort of 15, 16 months. And I thought, oh, it's kind of all right. It's a little bit turning of the handle. You know, each year comes around, each quarter comes around. And then I can't recall exactly what changed, but but I then took on responsibility for the international merchandising function. Mm. Now, now I'm in an international role, nothing to do with finance. I'm now working with the franchisee in um, Kuwait who runs... 70 or 80 stores and the franchisee in Spain who runs 20 or 30 stores working with them and my team on which clothes for ladies should be bought and how we should do the windows in the various stores I think I'd be completely out of my depth doing something like that I was but but again it tests you as long as you can lead that team as long as you have the conversation again I, I cannot bring a spreadsheet up and say well I think what we should try and do is in the windows, we're going to put in the creative. We should have one that costs £10 less. No, because what should we do? What are the answers? What are the options? And working with that team. I mean, so I, I worked out in Kuwait and Bahrain and Jeddah and Riyadh and uh, all over the place, Dubai, um, for you know a few days at a time, going out visiting these stores. Nothing to do with finance, but to do with trying to run the international business. And then um, I decided that, I talked to Philip about becoming the international director for Arcadia, so running all the top shops in the US and all that stuff. He said, there's no way I'm ever going to let a finance guy run the international buying and merchandising division of my business. No way, which is probably unfair. So then I, you know, I thought, okay, fair enough, but I'm not quite sure where this is going. I mean, Arcadia is an interesting business. It um, was, <laughs> it's very flat brands and every brand is, is basically a repeat of the others. And there's kind of one senior position. You were going to go sideways a couple of times. So, you know, you always get these knocks at the door, as we all do. Um, went to TUI. So when it's TUI as... Uh, hang on, hang on. We've started off in network, in telecoms, yeah. vehicle manufacturing, yeah. network communications, yeah. fast food via the Ministry of Defence, yeah. ladies' fashion. So we're, we're, yeah. now, we're now in the travel industry. Yeah. Uh, so in, in part, actually, so my, just going back to my dad, so he, he used to run this, um, this private jet business in Luton. And um, always, so my, my family's also been aviation, be they, you know, cabin crew or, or pilots or engineers. They all seem to be in aviation. I was the one who wasn't. And this job came up to be CFO of, uh, of the airline. And um, well, crikey, that is properly in, in aviation, based fairly locally. It's a billion pound business its own right. It's another household name. So you think all of those names that I've been through so far, all household names, all sort of corporates that everyone knows. And I, I was quite passionate about that. I wanted to stay in, in, in corporate life, in big household name. And, and there's a story behind this in a second. So this job came up and I thought, oh, fantastic. You know, and big responsibility, big balance sheet, you know, big PL, big team, decent bunch of guys there, um, quite dynamic. Um, did it for a couple of years. There was a few wobbles in it. There was a whole sort of accounting issue, uh, which wasn't in the airline, but it swept through the whole business in, um, I don't know, 2010, I think it was. And 
consequently, a lot of people fell by the wayside because there was a oversight, I would say, was uh, in some areas. And it sort of changed the whole nature of that team, like, like completely changed culture from sort of A to Z. And uh, it just wasn't for me. So I spent about two years there. Really, there's a really interesting juncture there. So I spoke to a couple of headhunters who I've known for a long time. And I said, they sort of knocked on my door for a few things. So I've got quite an interesting choice here. There was a particular role that came up in this, in this tiny little sort of £2 million turnover business. And another role popped up in, uh, I think it was Britvic, actually. So, you know, again, a, a household name. But I said to this guy, who, who a lot of people will know in the finance recruitment world in Odgers, oh, it's a dilemma. I said, I've got a big FTSE 250 business on the one side with a decent role in it. And I've got this little, almost like startup business that looks really interesting. It's got some fantastic people in it. I don't know what to do. But what he said to me, which has stuck with me, he said, if you join this small business, and you see that the share price of this FTSE 250 business Britvic has gone up by 20%, what will you think? Okay. If you join Britvic and you see that this business has tripled in size, had investment and, and IPO'd, what would you think? Shit, I should have gone and done that. That's your answer. Yeah. So, um, so I stepped from a billion pound airline business to a 2 million waste to energy business with right. a 2 million. And no longer a household name. But a fantastic CEO, a fantastic investor, a great... This is stinky food waste, right? This is taking mm. your food waste, not from your door, but all the stuff that goes from your door, it appears in these big sort of £10 million sites and it processes them and creates green power. It's incredible. I mean, it stinks. It's a horrendous place to work, but it's incredible. And I love all that. It just really, really got me. It's a great opportunity, great CEO. You know, he and I still talk now. He's, he's fantastically bright, fantastically passionate, just brilliant guy. And so I joined and the job was to try and raise finance. I'd never raised finance in my life. I'd never really spoken to a bank in my life, but the job was to go and raise finance. So within about a year, we'd raised £25 million from Kia, the, the construction business. And um, that allowed us to grow more quickly. So we started off as a, and a two million turnover business with about 40 people. Within the two and a half years I was CFO, we've got 25 million pounds in. We were on the way of building another four, if not five, 10 million pound plants. So, really, you know, pushing the envelope, growing to about 90 odd people. We've grown to about 15 million pound turnover. So, you know, small numbers, but quite phenomenal growth. And then the the guy I was working for, he had bizarrely a running accident. He's, he wasn't, you know, badly injured apart from he found it difficult to drive for a while. He was driving from London to Bedford. He's got a very good lifestyle, should we say. So it wasn't like he was the, the, main, the main breadwinner and just said, I can't do this commute anymore. He sort of ducked out gracefully. And the chairman said, well, why don't you do the role? You know, we'd like to offer you the job. Similar situation to the Pizza Hut IT director. But I've got the CEO role now. Okay, I'll give it a crack. And I did. And um, massive learning experience. I think that's the biggest learning experience of my life. You know, suddenly, a few things, and I could talk about this for hours and, and now's not the time. One of the most difficult things, you step from being one of six peers to being the leader. Mm-hmm. Hard. And I, mean, I was on holiday in, um, I think it was in Florida, actually, with the kids. It was about a week before I started. There's a Harvard Business Review article, but it's lonely at the top. And I read it. And it sort of talks about all these things about how you feel because you, when you're in a group, when you're in a team, when you're in a board, whatever, 
there's kind of five of you or 10 of you or whatever it is, and you've got one ultimate boss, and that boss has got shareholders or chairman or investors or whatever, you're just on your own. And you fail on your own. And it tests your resilience, it tests your metal, it tests your leadership, it tests your decision making. In the first couple of weeks, we had um, you know, a major problem with some individual who really hurt himself in, just outside the workplace, actually. We had a, a site that we were involved in many years ago that collapsed and there was the EA and you know police involved. We had all sorts of stuff going yeah. on. And it's like it all comes at you. Yeah, all- absolutely. Now, I can feel, Julian, there's a whole separate podcast could be. I'd love to do that at some point. You talk about the challenges of the CFO becoming the CEO. And I think let's book another slot and talk about that properly. But Pleasure. Yeah, your, there's your, lots of them. Yeah. Your CEO experience didn't last that long. You moved back to being a CFO. Yeah. So I was CEO for three years, I think, at Biogen. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's probably my most developmental role, I would say. It comes with its real advantages. It comes with its headaches. But it is, you know, if anyone wants to really step into into some real challenges, it's stepping into that CEO role. But um, my job was then to sell the business. So I've never sold a business before, but I have now. So we sold the business to an infrastructure fund. And I think I did the deal on Friday night on the 1st of April, 2017. And on Monday morning, I started at Arden. Right. So I had Sunday off, basically. (laughs) So you had time to find a new job while you're selling a business. Yeah. So, you know, I got to the point where running this business was fantastic. I was really enjoying it, but it was, it's quite a difficult business to run. And the owner was a bit wobbly, you know, I think I might get out and Keir weren't quite sure. And we sort of came to this view that said, look, will you stick around for another six months? Can you sell the business, get it, you know, get it gone. Um, and if you do, we'll look after you. So that's what they did. So I picked up the phone to a few people. I said, look, this is kind of where I am. Actually, the role I've got now was the only interview I went for. Because I thought, that sounds quite interesting. So it was a nice sort of segue from one to the other. Literally, I signed at sort of two o'clock on the Saturday morning in Ashurst Lawyers in central London. And then arrived at Enfield on Monday morning to start work at Arden. So you've gone again for something that's perhaps not quite the household name. Yeah, and, and I think that's where, so if I had my time again, would I, I think you asked me that sort of maybe earlier, I was wedded to having this household name on my CV because I thought it was really important. I think for a lot of people, those big corporates work brilliantly well. You know, there's loads of opportunities, there's sideways moves, there's international experience. Actually, when you go into a small business, you really have to be, sta- you really have to stand up and be counted. You know, you, there's nowhere to hide, absolutely nowhere to hide. If I think back to my corporate days and I think back through some of the teams I led, <laughs> I suspect I could probably do the same job with half the number of people. Yep. Corporates a bit generally, a bit, and you would have found that in ICI. Yeah. Reflect back. Despite any sort of consultant coming in saying there's a cost reduction exercise, generally corporates sit with a pretty fat overhead. They won't think they do, but when you compare it to a small business or in, in my case, a sort of PE-backed business, I think now I could run with with far far smaller teams with higher capability people. So yeah, not not household names and never say never. But I think I really like the cut and thrust and the agility of being. Sounds arrogant to be a big fish, doesn't it? But to be able to be influential in a smaller business, 
floats my boat more than being one cog of a medium size in a bigger organisation. But, you know, horses for horses, Kevin. Everyone's got different views. But I stepped back into the CFO role because what I said was very clear about what I wanted. I wanted a very commercial CFO role. I did not want to, you know, be pigeonholed as classic, you know, maybe a classic finance director if I'm not being rude, but I wanted a really commercial role. And, and that's that's what I've got. And in fact, over the last oh, now four years and nine months or something, it's now massively evolved. So a year in, I then became responsible for all procurement. So I'm one of the biggest buyers of JCB in Western Europe. I'm one of the biggest buyers of Manitou's and Hitachi's and Komatsu's and Kubota's. So most of my time is spent buying big bits of construction machinery or doing property deals or leverage deals with banks. I don't spend a great deal of my time with core day-to-day finance. I leave my team to do that. So yeah. the, the role I've got now is perfect, I have to say. And I don't really care who listens to this. It so really is. It really all, is all of those commercial procurement pieces, could you see yourself being able to do those without that experience of having moved out of finance and done the more commercial roles? So I think I'd do a reasonable job. I try. Do I think I would do not as good a job if I hadn't had that experience? Yeah, because the experience of talking to customers, dealing with people, seeing things through not just the financial lens are, are absolutely crucial. And when I'm negotiating, you know, 30, 40 million pound packages of construction machinery, of course, you've got to have your your finance numbers cold. You've got to know, you know, what is the inflation? What are the spec changes? What are the returns on the bits of kit that I'm buying? You know, what are the ups and downs and the risks? You've got to be able to have that commercial relationship. You've got to be able to lead the team. You've got to be able to think more broadly. You've got to be able to think long term. Definitely all of those things I've done uh, help me try and do a good job in what I'm doing today. Brilliant. And that's where I am today. You know, five years in, I've got a fantastic team that works for me. We've got a, a fantastic board that I'm part of. We've got a tremendously interesting business. We're a very agile business. And the role I do is I've, I've had a bad day in five years. I've not once got out of bed and thought, oh, five years. That is brilliant. Julian, on that note, thank you hugely for being the guest on this week's Gross CFO Show. My pleasure. Have a nice weekend, Kevin. And yourself.